You can turn with me then to the sermon text for today, which is found in Genesis, Genesis chapter 21, Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 22. It's also in the sermon insert uh, on the back. As we've been preaching through Genesis, we've had many chapters on uh, the life of Abraham. God established his covenant with Abraham, made great promises for his good and for the good of the world. This would be God's plan for restoring blessing to a world which had fallen under his curse. In every chapter of this story, in chapter 12 and 13, 14, 15, 16, all, you know, up to 21 where we are now, we find God reaffirming, expanding, and beginning to fulfill these promises. Even when there's circumstances like the lack of land ownership, Sarah's barren womb, famine, hostile kings, these all seem to make the promises that he was given improbable, yet God comes through for them time and time again. He had promised to bless Abraham. He had promised to give him uh, the land that he would show him, that he would uh, grant him an abundant offspring Uh, nation, in fact, nations, plural, and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But as this life goes along and and, uh, we find these promises affirmed and begun to be fulfilled, the faith of Abraham and Sarah is tested, it's exercised, and it's strengthened. Now, this was originally written... um, Not in the days of Abraham, though these stories were recounted and remembered, but in the days of Moses. And he taught the people of Israel in this way to trust the God of their fathers, that he would be faithful in their day, to trust the Lord and to follow him. Likewise, today, the saints from all nations who are children of Abraham through Christ are taught the same lesson. Now, most recently in chapter 21, we saw God make Sarah the mother of the child of promise. Remember his name? He laughs. Isaac. And he indeed was born with laughter of joy and wonder. He was the child of grace and promise. Not born in the normal way, but to very old parents after the uh, way of women had ceased with Sarah. And he would remain as the heir of Abraham. Ishmael, the child born according to the flesh who mocked Isaac, he was sent away to where God nevertheless cared for him in the wilderness. On the one side of that story was uh, the story of Abimelech and him taking Sarah and God rescuing Sarah. Now we come back to Abimelech as kind of a little inclusion here of this part. Uh, Today, chapter 21, verses 22 through verse 34. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing, 
you did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord God, we know that you have revealed yourself in every age as uh, God merciful and gracious, that you have uh, been faithful to your covenant. We pray that you would bless your word and the uh, accounts of these deeds uh, for our instruction and benefit, that you would build up your, your church, your people, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin simply by uh, summarizing this text, you know, what happens, and then I want to show how this is a, a covenant, and it's an example of a covenant to better understand the concept, because it's a big, important concept in the Bible. We find an example here of a covenant between Abimelech and Abraham, and then how this very event is a fruit, a benefit, a partial fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. But first, what, what happened? Abimelech, who's the king, King Abimelech, of the Philistines from Gerar, comes with his commander of his army uh, to Abraham and uh, seek a covenant with him, which would secure Abraham's place in the land and uh, secure Abraham's faithfulness and kindness toward them. They realized that God was with Abraham in all that he did. How did they realize this? Well, I mean, God spoke to Abimelech in a dream and told him that Abraham was God's prophet, so that was a big clue. Uh, Also, Abraham prayed, and Abimelech was healed, and the women of his household began to bear children. He had been uh, cursed for dishonoring Abraham, and and then begins to be blessed as he treats him well. Uh, So it's not a surprise that he realizes that God is with Abraham. And on top of that, he probably heard that Abraham had just had a child, that Sarah had given birth in her old age to Isaac. Certainly God was with this man, and certainly this is not someone he wanted as an enemy, wanted to secure his friendship. He did not want a God-blessed man um, as his enemy. And so Abraham agrees that he will swear, um, he will make this covenant by this oath, but before doing so, he brings up a grievance he has. You know, if we're going to be uh, allies, if we're going to be bound by this covenant, um, there's a, something that happened that shouldn't happen if we're going to be allies. This well, I dug, I dug this well, and then your servants took it from me. Um, and Abimelech says, I don't know who did this. You haven't told me. I, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. Uh, in other words, I didn't approve such an act, and implies that he would recognize Abraham's right to this well. 
And so then they make the covenant, or literally cut the covenant, and they do so by swearing an oath. And Abraham gives sheep and oxen to Abimelech, and seven of those sheep, or seven ewe lambs, are set apart as a particular witness to Abraham's right to that well. And so that well and that place becomes known as Beersheba, which means well of the oath. Uh, also means well of the seven, because uh, the word for oath can also mean seven, uh, which is also connected with the giving of the seven lambs as a witness in this oath. And so uh, Beersheba is called this the well of the seven or the well of the oath. Then Abimelech and Phicol return home, and Abraham plants a tree. He plants a tamarisk tree. Maybe I could say this is Arbor Day themed a, a sermon, right? Just, just happened, I think, right? Missouri Arbor Day. Um, but that's not really the point. He planted a tree. We'll get to the significance of that tree in a minute. But he planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and importantly, he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And he lived there for many days, probably decades. And so this uh, text um, some, some sermons, I notice, don't give a lot of attention to it, uh, but we'll find that it's very useful. There's probably more in this text than I'm able to talk about today, but we'll at least see how it's an example of a covenant, which is instructive because we use that word a lot. It's in our church's name. Uh, we talk about covenant, and sometimes, though, it's still kind of a vague concept. We find it a lot in Scripture. And then also how this very coming of Abimelech to Abraham is a uh, a benefit of God's covenant with Abraham. So first, it's an example of a covenant. This is important because God has a covenant with, with you in Christ, and you have other covenants with other humans. You know, those of you who are married have a covenant with your spouse. There's other uh, covenants that are made between people as we have here. And you'll see in the sermon notes that I have my basic definition and I've been working on over, over time, still fine-tuning it, but a, a covenant is an oath that establishes a relationship between two parties and defines its nature and obligations. Uh, or we might say it slightly differently, a covenant is a bond and alliance between two parties, binding them in peace and friendship. Um, it's an oath, so that implies a promise. Certainly promises are important to a covenant. It's a, a promise by what you're swearing to, and that creates a, a relationship, a bond. You know, sometimes people have contracts today which kind of distance themselves. Like, I only have to get involved to this extent, and then I can, do, I can be done with you. Uh, but a, a covenant, the emphasis is on binding the two uh, together. And... Uh, that's possibly where the Hebrew word for covenant comes from, from a bond. But bonds, uh, covenants can be a little different. Uh, the covenant itself will define what kind of covenant this is. Is this the marriage covenant? Is this a political covenant? Is this a covenant between two nations? Is this a covenant between God and his people? And that's going to be spelled out in the covenant itself. Now, there are parties to a covenant. Now, there are, often there were parties, like feasts, as part of a covenant, but that's not what I mean by parties to the covenant. I mean people They're on one side and the other side. Sometimes it's two individuals. David and Jonathan made a covenant. Uh, sometimes it's two groups, um, you know, like the Gibeonites and the Israelites. Sometimes it's God and man. Here we have Abimelech 
And really, Abimelech kind, kind of his people, his land, and Abraham uh, on the other side that are parties to the covenants. But in a covenant, sometimes both parties are human, between peoples, friends, spouses, kings and vassals, Hittites and Egyptians. Uh, but there are also two covenants in which the parties have been God and man. There's the covenant of works in the garden, and there is the covenant of grace with sinners through Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. When God makes a covenant with people, uh, he establishes a bond between him and them. I will be your God. You will be my people. He grants them fellowship with him and takes them under his care, and he promises them eternal life and blessing. It's a good thing to be in covenant with God. Now, a covenant usually describes the context. How, how did we uh, come to this place in which we have the basis for a relationship? Uh, a, con- a covenant usually describes the parties and the foundation for the relationship in terms of its historical context. What benefits have already been granted that have you know, put you in connection with me? Abimelech does this. He's, you know, he explains why he wants a covenant with Abraham. He says, God is with you. I see that you are a person I want to have a covenant with, and I have dealt kindly with you. Uh, Abimelech not only had given Sarah back, but he had been generous in giving gifts and making restitution and giving uh, the, the money to prove her innocence. He had said, you can live wherever you want in my land. And so he had shown kindness to Abraham and says, as I have dealt kindly with you, so deal kindly with me. Um, so he, he begins by stating the historical context. God, when he introduces his covenant of works, it's in the historical context of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've given you every tree in the garden. You know, I've created you. I'm God. Uh, you uh, are my creature, and I've been generous to you and given you everything. Therefore, don't eat of this one tree or else you're going to die. You know, but the, the historical context is one of generosity and of obligation. That's, it's based on the fact that God is a creator. But, of course, it was conditioned on works and man broke it. In the covenant of grace with sinners through Jesus Christ, uh, it is in the context of redemption. So, for example, in the Mosaic covenant, it begins with, I am the Lord thy, thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Uh, it begins by saying that the basis of this relationship is what I have done for you in working redemption for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, this is the, uh, the basis for our covenant relationship with God. He has dealt kindly with us. Another thing we find in this covenant, which is generally true of covenants, is that it is multi-generational. A covenant generally is multi-generational. That's not something unique to God's covenant with his people. The covenants are usually made to you and to your children. Abimelech wanted Abraham to make a covenant to deal kindly with me and my descendants and my posterity. When his son would become king, Abimelech would want Abraham to still show faithfulness to him, uh, that Abraham would be bound to be faithful to Abimelech and to his son and to his grandson, uh, to his people, his heirs, his posterity. The next generation would be an heir of the covenant. 
and has the kindness of the covenant extended to it and is also bound by that covenant. That next king that would succeed Abimelech would be bound to to let Abraham dwell in the land, be faithful to that agreement already made. Now, sometimes the next generation breaks the covenant, uh, but that's a breaking, breaking of the covenant, not simply a refusal to enter into it. For example, in 2 Samuel 9 and 10, we have a good example and a bad example, a good positive example and negative example of King David fulfilling uh, covenants to the next generation. He had made a covenant with Jonathan. And then Jonathan, who had died, he had a son named Mephibosheth. And uh, David wanted to show this kindness, this uh, covenant mercy, to someone for Jonathan's sake, and so shows it to Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth responded with humility and gratitude. Who am I? This is, this is amazing. But David did the same with his ally, uh, King Nahash, in chap- the next chapter. And his son, who had succeeded the throne, uh, Nanun, and Nanun responded with rebellion, with war. And war broke out between Israel and this other nation. So we have two contrasting examples. He tries to show faithfulness to, to the next heir of the covenant. Uh, here, speaking of a, a man-to-man covenant. And one responded well, received it. The other broke it. So in every administration of God's covenant with man, he has made it with you and your children, whether with Adam and Eve, with Noah and his household, with Abraham and his children, his offspring, with Israel and even your little ones, and David and his offspring, and to you and your offspring, and to you and your children, it's Pentecost. Uh, God has made it in this way. So children, children of the covenant, know that God has uh, included you in this. He has taken you to be his own and has extended to you the same kindness that he has shown to your parents. This grace is symbolized and confirmed in baptism. So do not despise that grace. Do not reject it in unbelief. Embrace it. Rest upon those promises and grow to confess it before men. This is a kindness of God, his covenant that you are an heir of. Imagine, if you will, a tiny country. All right, This country is not very powerful, and it's in a place where it's surrounded by hostile enemies, large, powerful countries that want to utterly destroy it. But this tiny country is preserved because it has an alliance with a very powerful country that will attack anyone who attacks it. And so this tiny little country is preserved because it has this alliance. Now, how foolish would it be for a new generation of leadership to arise in that little country that decided that it was going to break off that alliance with that country? Wouldn't that be foolish? The enemies are just going to wipe them out. Apart from Christ, you are doomed to be destroyed by your sin, by the devil, by the fallen world, only by your covenant with God through faith in Christ. Are you safe? Are you secure? Are you blessed? And so this is a multi-generational covenant that God has with his people. Every generation called to embrace it by faith in Jesus Christ uh, to you and to your children to be raised up in it. Even as uh, Abimelech would raise up his son uh, to be faithful to Abraham. Now, 
There were obligations to this covenant. Each covenant is going to spell out the particulars, but the covenants generally have two obligations that are mentioned in verse 23. This is very, very common terms. In verse 23, uh, he says, uh, Swear to me uh, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. So don't feel... Don't deal falsely, but deal kindly. These are important words. To not deal falsely, the positive would be to deal faithfully, to be true. Don't be false to me. Don't deceive me. Don't treat me as an enemy. You know, don't forget to say that your wife is your wife, for example. Um, you know, don't, don't trick me thinking that I'm an enemy trying to destroy you, but rather let's be true to one another. So let's not attack each other, but also then deal kindly with one another. That word is the word chesed, uh, usually translated uh, mercy or steadfast love or loving kindness, depending on the translation. It's an important word. It's hard to convey in English, but it has this idea of mercy and love, but also of kind of a loyalty and faithfulness to it. Um, It's often used of God, that God's steadfast love endures forever, or his mercy endures forever Uh, It's used actually in the previous chapter, in chapter 20, that uh, Abraham had told Sarah to say that that she was his sister, that this is the kindness you must do me, Uh, that this would be a way to show her loyalty and steadfast love to her covenant's uh, partner, her husband, uh, by uh, preserving his life in this way. so this, this kindness is more than just being polite. Uh, it's, it's being loyal. It's being merciful. It's coming to the aid of your ally. And so they were swearing to not treat each other as enemies through fraud or violence or treachery, but rather they would treat each other as allies by showing each other mercy and kindness and aid. Now, God shows faithfulness and steadfast love to his covenant people. He is a God who is uh, faithful full of steadfast love and faithfulness. He is trustworthy. He comes to the rescue of his people. He is their great and supreme and supremely powerful ally who will come to the rescue of his people. He has mercy on them, and he delivers them, and he can be counted to do so as long as they are in covenant with him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Uh, His chesed endures forever. And we might think also of our life in the covenant. In one sense, faith alone is, it's the only condition to have a share in this covenant. We're not saved by our faithfulness and works, and that's not how we gain a share in this covenant. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. But being in covenant, we have certain obligations the way we're supposed to walk with our God, uh, supposed to live. We're supposed to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind to serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And so we ought to be true to our God, to uh, return in gratitude the steadfast love and faithfulness that he shows uh, us, to also uh, repent when we go astray and to seek to serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. It's a bond of two people, two parties together. A covenant is also made by an oath. We find that in this passage. He begins by saying, swear to me. And then it says they make a covenant. 
And then it says they swore an oath. And it says, and so they, they swore a covenant. They made a covenant. And the, the terms are used synonymously. They, how did they make a covenant? By swearing an oath, by swearing these terms to one another. An oath is where a person asserts something or promises something and calls, calls God to witness it and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he swears. With God as my witness, this is the case. Or with God as my witness, I will do this. Now, both Abimelech and Abraham swore to deal kindly, not falsely. Notice when it says, talks about the name, it says they both swore. They both swore an oath. And, they, and Abimelech is the one who brings up the idea of swearing by God, by Elohim. Uh, they both swear by God to hold them accountable to this promise. And that is how they make an oath. Now, an oath is not to be taken rashly or lightly. Jesus corrected those who found ways around the third commandment and were treating oaths lightly and taking the Lord's name in vain. But there are occasions where it is appropriate to make a covenant, to swear an oath, and to swear by God's name alone, and in so doing, worship him. Now, when God makes a covenant with his people, he swears an oath. And who does he swear by? He swears by himself. The one who guarantees all oaths is the one himself swearing by himself to guarantee his promises. Men admit that God is trustworthy when he is the one who guarantees their own oaths between men. And he is the one who swears by himself that these promises will be fulfilled. And so his promises are certain and sure. In this covenant, there are also, uh, we might call them signs and seals, uh, things that accompany this covenant to confirm it. There are animals given as a gift. There's other examples where a lesser party in Scripture is trying to make an alliance with a greater party and so sends gifts, kind of like tribute. That might be what's going on here, where Abraham gives uh, sheep and oxen to uh, Abimelech, perhaps his gratitude for this arrangement. Uh, probably one of these animals, at least, was used in the ceremony of cutting the covenant, uh, as we saw in Genesis 15, where God cut animals literally and, and you know, walked between them to make this oath. Uh, perhaps they did that as they made this covenant. But then we saw seven ewe lamps set apart as a witness to this particular clause of the covenant. As Abimelech received them, he was saying, yes, I recognize you dug this well. And so later, uh, Abraham could say, you know, you got those lambs over there. Do you remember how you got those lambs? You got those. You shook on it. You admitted that this is my well and that I have a right to this well. And so it would be a, a sign, a seal, and even the naming of the well would be a remembrance of this arrangement, this oath that they had sworn. A covenant often has a sign or a memorial as a witness as these signs work. Of course, in the covenant of grace, in this time, we have two signs and seals of the covenant with our God. They're not sheep. They're not a well, although one does involve water. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we find in this passage, I think, helpful illustration of what a covenant is, that this is uh, something that 
God uses to describe his relationship with his people, but we also find examples in Scripture of uh, the, the concept here, for example, between Abimelech and Abraham. And even as God is faithful and kind and uh, true to his covenant, so his people, like Abraham, ought to imitate their God in being faithful to others, uh, to let your yes be yes, to be good to your word, to be faithful and uh, come to the aid of those whom you have committed yourself to in this life. Now, my second point, which will probably be a little briefer, is how this very covenant is a manifestation of God's covenant with Abraham. And that's instructive for you, because you're an heir of Abraham's covenant through Jesus Christ. You have received these promises. God had promised to bless Abraham. And here, Abraham is blessed with peace and protection. The king is no longer an enemy. God had rebuked the king on his account, and now the king is one who seeks to be his ally, to uh, support Abraham. The king does this because God's blessing upon him is evident. God's people today, uh, the children of Abraham, can still expect persecution, as Abraham received persecution from time to time. But God also promised that Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. He also has Jesus Christ at his right hand, who works all things in the earth for the good of his people. He will protect them, and he will order the world for their good. And so when the time comes, certainly there might be centuries of persecution, but he also raises up, you know, the ruler to protect Luther, uh, Constantine to end the persecution. He uses rulers to protect his church that they might proclaim the gospel and continue his work. And not only is peace a blessing, but I might add that both men here are a good example of people who seek peace, who don't let this taking of a well to devolve into conflict and bitterness and strife, but they communicate, uh, they seek this uh, unity with one another and work through the conflict to find peace. Secondly, not only is this a manifestation of blessing generally, but God has promised to bless those who bless Abraham and to bless all nations through him. And so here we find a Gentile nation, a non-Jewish people, uh, who are blessing Abraham instead of dishonoring him and are seeking to align themselves with him. Perhaps Abimelech was converted. We don't know. Different preachers and commentators will differ. Was this simply an unbeliever who wanted to be kind of close to Abraham, or was he truly converted and worshiping the true God? He certainly had heard the true God, and he swears by, uh, by God. Whether or not he was, it, at the very least, this is a type and shadow of the conversion of the Gentiles, a good sign of things to come that there would be for Abraham's descendants times where the nations would want to unite themselves to the people of God. Or people like Rahab would say, I see that the true God is working for you, and I fear him, and I want to cast in my lot with you, and not with the Jericho which is falling apart. Or with you and me, who have come to the God of Abraham and to his people. Our covenant with God is also with his people. We're connected. Uh, You join one as you join the other. Zechariah 8 was read earlier because similar words are used. There would be a time where ten men from the nations will grab one Jew and say, uh, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. you know, we've heard God's with you, so let's go with you to seek the favor of the Lord, uh, to, to seek him, uh, to worship him. 
This is the way things work now, especially in the New Covenant, where the gospel is going to all nations, where the peoples are being drawn into the church of Jesus Christ. God makes his people a blessing to others as he blesses them. God uses his church to draw the nations to himself. So may we be eager to be a blessing, to be a light to the nations by our worship, by our witness, by our walk. May you be ready to give an answer for the person who inquires about the hope within you. May you walk wisely before outsiders and be ready to give an answer to each man. Uh, May you be filled with love and joy and peace and patience such that someone can see, I see God is with you. I want to come with you. 1 Corinthians says that if an unbeliever enters the church and it's just a bunch of confusion, they're not going to know what to make of it. But if God's word is being preached and comes with conviction, he will fall on his face and worship and say, God is in this place. God is in you. That is what we desire, to see the people brought into the kingdom uh, through, uh, through his people, through you and me. Now, God also promised to give the land to Abraham and his offspring. And Abraham's place in the land is affirmed by this claim that he has on that well that he dug. He exercised faith in God's promise. He didn't go back home. He didn't go back to Ur. Uh, He stayed there. He stayed despite difficulties, like not having a well. He looked to God for his inheritance, and then he plants a tree. He plants a tamarisk tree as a tangible sign that he's going to be there for a while. He's staking his claim there. He doesn't uh, put his work and energy into building up a, a settlement in a foreign land, uh, but he's going to stay there, trusting that the Lord will eventually give this land to him as his children's inheritance. So the children of Abraham, by faith in Christ, are still heirs of the land. Not just Canaan, uh, but the earth, the kingdom of God, Like Abraham, you've begun to enjoy this inheritance in some ways. You've received the Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance, yet you await the full possession of this coming glory. So set your hopes on the Lord. Do not live for the praise of man and the treasures of this world, but lay up treasures in heaven and seek his kingdom and righteousness, the kingdom that will not be shaken, the kingdom that is present and coming. The Lord will sustain his saints in the meantime. So in conclusion, how does Abraham respond? He responds by worshiping God. He sees God's work. He sees his promises begun to be fulfilled. And so he calls upon the Lord and he adds a new name, not just Jehovah, you know, I am the Lord, but also the everlasting God. He gives thanks to God for this blessing and he calls upon him with faith. And he plants a tamarisk tree, and, which is an evergreen tree, uh, probably as a, a sign of life, uh, enduring, the faithfulness of his God and the faithfulness of his promises, that they would continue to last, probably a place of shade and a sign of stability in the land, but also of the faithfulness of the everlasting God. Who knows, perhaps there's a hint of Eden here in its trees. But the Lord, he is the everlasting God. He is eternal, unchanging, trustworthy, and he will fulfill his promises. He is a sure support. He will bless Zion, raise up his holy house, 
Draw in the people who have walked in darkness, and who will bless the nations through Abraham's offspring. And all those who enter his covenant by faith in Christ, and thus unite with him and his people, shall inherit the kingdom and dwell there forever. To him be the glory and dominion and the honor, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy and kindness, your covenant mercies, and your faithfulness, that you are trustworthy and true, firm and unmoving. We call upon you through the Lord Jesus Christ that we might have a share in this goodness, that you would never leave us nor forsake us, but grant us the kingdom. We pray that you would continue to work among us powerfully such that the nations would see that you have done great things for us and would come to the brightness of your rising, come to the brightness of your light which shines in your people. We pray that you would bless your word, that you would bless the gospel, that you would bring uh, kings and nations and rulers uh, to those who are powerful and those who are powerless, everyone in between, that they might worship you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take...